0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. To you. We will take our scriptures again, find Romans chapter 8 where we are, working through this. Romans chapter 8, in particular verse 28, and we'll get there in a minute. I've got a picture here. Once again, Malachi is, where is Malachi? Oh, he's way over. Okay, you're over there today. Malachi is helping us out. So thank you, Malachi. Other kids, you're welcome to draw. There's paper in the back, clipboards, just put your name on it. Something I say during the sermon, just listen if it's something odd, like I might mention broccoli today, perhaps. Just, you can draw broccoli. Or something else, but listen, but Malachi has been listening along, really helping us review where we were. And this is where we were last week. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Remember we thought, what do we pray as we ought? But it's the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So thank you, Malachi, for drawing, helping us out. It's where we were with this groaning of the Spirit, and in this chapter 8, and as we just slowly work through chapter 8, we come to verse 28, probably a, a quite familiar verse to you, and then uh, verse 29 and 30, and so um, let me start at 28, and we'll just read through verse 30 here, that's what we're going to, I'll explain more in a bit what we are covered today here. So let's hear from God's Word. Chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray again as, I come to, as we come to God's Word. Lord, I just want to enter again, just asking for your, your help and your blessing upon what we will look at in these verses, and in particular, verse 28. Lord, a familiar verse But Lord, may it come home to our minds and to our hearts today um, to really celebrate and worship what a great God who has called us in Christ. May we leave worshiping, praising you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for verses like this, for your entire scripture, but verses like this that even help us make sense out of sometimes what doesn't make sense and what is hard and difficult. Lord, I just pray as we gather under Your Word, hearing the Word preached today, Lord, change us, change our hearts, and may we go out from here, Lord, and encourage to help others in need, to comfort others as well. So guide our time, in Jesus' name we would pray, amen. There comes a certain point in my sermon preparations that happen during the week that there is, when I come to a text, it seems like there's a certain point somewhere where it's like, I think this is going to be two sermons, and that, that point came this week. It could, be, it could be said the week got away from me, but it's probably more likely and more honest I got away from my week, and, uh, but that's not the only reason, because I think there's more here in the text that we have than just one sermon can handle. As you get into some of the, the bigger words in the 29 and 30, um, I want to address those but have time to do that. Um, as we go. There's a, there is a way in which you could take the whole book of Romans. We're going slow. We're now on year, basically, starting year number two through this book as we're up to chapter eight. Some, I think there's a preacher that's, that took ten years to get through Romans. That's not my plan. You, but <laughs> not right now, I should say. I don't want to commit myself to anything. But, uh, but there's a way you could preach the whole book of Romans. We could do this in one sermon and then move on. You could do that. So you could do a broad overview of the main themes. Um, but you also come along places like we have in chapter 8 that just need a little more time. There, there's forest, you know, seeing the whole forest, whole, the whole landscape. And then there's time just looking at the individual trees and going, wow, that, that is wow. look at that and look at, look at this. And so that's kind of what we've been doing through chapter 8. We, we have slowed down in other places. It's not like we've sped through Romans. But in chapter 8, we've really slowed down to see a couple of things, and this is again review, we reviewed last week, again, starting off chapter 8, there is no condemnation in Christ, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, we talked about a mind set on the flesh, and then a mind set on the spirit, being led by the spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body. And then we looked at, as we went further, we looked at our adoption as children of God, heirs of what do we get? What's our inheritance? God Himself, we looked at. And then in 18, and so on, inward these inward groanings, the groaning of creation, our own inward groanings, but are also our eager waiting and our hoping. And then last week, as we saw, the spirit groaning and interceding and helping in our weakness as it comes to prayer. And so if Romans 8, I've brought it up before, if it's kind of an, an Airbnb sort, you, you find the house and, wow, there's a great place for our family to get away and we're just going to hang out here, then in this Airbnb there is a room called Romans 8, 28 through 30. And that's the room we're in of this magnificent house. Really all of God's Word, but right here. And then we'll get to another room in 31 through 39 and so forth. But it's a room worthy of just stopping to just look around and, and wow, what a room we're in. Now, I'm going to do that again, as I said, just really focusing on verse 28, though it's not disconnected from what will follow in 29 and 30, but really looking at 28, and really there's this connection overall in these two parts, and that is that God's good purposes are for those whom he has called. God has good purposes, his purposes, for those whom he has called. Now, verse 28 begins with a little phrase, and we know that, or and we, we know. And it's relatively, a relatively common phrase to Paul, really, to just state a, a truth. We've seen this already in Romans. You may not remember, but it's in, it's, it, this little phrase shows up. Romans chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, regarding the sins of chapter 1, he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such Things. So, judgment of God upon sin we know. Or Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 19. Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This we know. Or Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. But Paul says, I am of the flesh sold under sin. And so it has this aim at a sort, of, a sort of truth statement, maybe like a summary in a way. And even in Romans 8, starting in verse 22, Paul says this. He says, for we know, here it just keeps coming, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. And then last week, verse 26, we do not know, a negative there, we don't know what to pray, but verse 27, God who knows the mind of the Spirit. And so the Spirit intercedes for us. And then we get to verse 28, and this fourth really knowing in chapter 8. And one definition of this word, for, for know maybe the, the, the word here says it's used to introduce a well-known fact that is generally accepted. In a sense, we've got a summary statement of truth. And that's what you have before you in your copy of the Word of God, a statement of truth. So what is it that we know? What fact or truth is, is almost, you could say, well-known? And that's verse 28. So there's a couple phrases in this verse. We're just going to look at kind of each one in turn. Let me just read the verse on the whole, and then let's break it apart a little bit. Again, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, we'll look at that, all things work together for good, we'll look at that, and then for those who are called according to His purpose. The first phrase here of this, and we know that, that for those who love God, it really is distinguishing for Paul. It's distinguishing just who he has in mind. In Romans 8, we've, we've seen the opposite of those who love God. Back in verses 7 and 8, speaks of those in the flesh. They're, they're hostile to God. They don't submit to His law. They cannot please God. In other words, they don't love God. And even further back, you can look chapter 3, tells us all sinners do not seek for God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But here, in verse 28, are those who actually love God. Jesus was asked, you'll be familiar with this, when he was asked, what, what's the greatest commandment? His response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You shall. It's a command. A command so often broken by sinners and even we who would claim to be children of God. We far too easily love other things. But I don't think Paul has in mind here those who, who perfectly love God. And I've, in my notes here, in my sermon, I have C chapter 7. If you think there's perfect love, reference chapter 7. So it's a general statement John Murray calls it a, a subjective attitude. Kind of, if, if I asked you the question today, you might say, well, not perfect. Do you love God? I think I do. I hope I do. Yeah, I, I love God. I, I know there's the failures of my sin and my flesh, but I love God. That's who Paul's talking to. But hear this, the love of God, it, it is something we truly do, and yet even this love of God is brought about by God himself. Do you love God? That's from God, even, so that he is glorious in all things. Uh, Book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, it speaks of God granting a new heart and a new spirit within to cause us to walk in God's ways, cause us to obey him. And, And that obedience is how we love him. It's those who have been born again, those who have been born of the Spirit. John three talks about that. As chapter eight shows, those who are children of God, those who call out to God, not in fear any longer, but call out to Him as Abba, Father. And so, this love for God—it's really something that God Himself has worked in us by His Spirit. In fact, in fact, First John four, verse nineteen tells us, "We love. Why do we love?" Because we thought, well, oh, that'd be a good idea to love in our no, God. We love because He first loved us. Comes from God, and those who truly love God will bear fruits of obedience. In the same book, John tells us, First John chapter five verse three: "For this is love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome." So, there's a spirit within it that creates a love for God to delight. I think it's a psalmist say, to delight in his word. I delight to do your commands. That's how it's not. So, if we think, if I ask you, do you love God? Not just merely going, I don't, I don't know if I feel. Are you obeying him? Are, that's kind of the question of 1 John. Are you walking with him? So, loving God works itself out in acts of loving obedience. But this phrase is distinguishing here, again. It distinguishes just who this verse is for. It's for those who, of course, love God. So it's not a, it's not a general verse for all peoples everywhere. To, to the one who does not love God, and there are those who is, as we looked at, who is hostile to God in the flesh, not submitting to God, we must say, yes, God is accomplishing all of his good and right purposes, but the eternal destination of the one who does not love God is not good. It is not good. The one who does not love God should not come away hopeful from this verse, but rather, as, as uh, Jesus would say in Luke, in fear of the one who has authority to cast into hell, which is really all of us. All of us, were it not for the grace of God. So it's distinguished. There are those here. And pay attention to the word those because it just comes up all over the place. There are those. And so we come to this next phrase. For those who love God, all things work together for good. The Greek word here used for this idea of working together, it's where we get the modern word synergy I think it's from soon ergo, so soon is like together. Ergo was work, so like work together or synergy, kind of this working together. What this phrase does not mean is that the working together of all things is something that happens outside of God's control. This isn't all things working together, and God says, wow, I'm glad it's all working. I, I started it back then, but I hope it's He's, He is the one, really. And I, you could almost argue... It's God, it is God, working all things together. Maybe another way to say it. It's God's sovereign hand over all things. Doug Moo writes this. It's important, he says, to insist that all things do not tend toward good in and of themselves. Rather, goes on to say, it is the sovereign guidance of God that is pres- presumed as the undergirding and directing force behind all the events of God life. We might ask here, we're going to ask about good, but what about the all things? What, What does Paul mean by the all things? What about the Greek? He simply means all things. All things. Things we might look at, we might say that's a bad thing or that's a good thing, but all things, no matter what, suffering, trials, hope, disappointments all things are for good one writer points out the nearest antecedent for this all things like if we ask what all things points out the nearest one is really verse 18 the sufferings so paul at least has in mind all things including sufferings but there's more it's all things and it's helpful as we come to the other word in the phrase this this word all things for good those who love God, all things work together for good. And so it would just be helpful to define what, what is good. And I think this is a key word for us to just spend a little bit of time thinking on. It, you could almost say, in the same way we don't know what to pray for as we ought, as we just saw last week, verse 26, I'm not sure we all know exactly what is good either, Um one example that came to mind, like broccoli. Take food, for example. Broccoli and lettuce. I would say for you kids, you would tend to look at broccoli as not good or lettuce as not good. We adults might say, we oh, I like broccoli. It's only if you cover it in butter and salt or lettuce if you put, I like French dress, honey mustard, whatever, and you get everything else on it to make the lettuce go away. But simply broccoli or simply lettuce, it's pretty dry, but Wouldn't, you know, the medical field, and I know there's, you know, differences (laughs) on that, but wouldn't most say, that's really healthy, that's really good for you. It might taste bad, but that food is good for you. Lots of things are good for us like that, even though we don't see them that way. Here's a couple examples. You can think of 500 more. Going to the dentist. To me, that's bad. No offense, I don't think we have dentists here. What's visit? But it's a good thing. We need dentists. It's good, but we don't maybe like exercise. Oh, I don't, it's just work, but it's good. Or in conversation, it is good. Maybe you don't think it's good. It's good to listen when we want to talk. Or sometimes we need to talk when we would rather be, we think it'd be good to be silent. We need to talk and say something. Uh, maybe you need to make a phone call that you just are dreading to make That phone call, it looks bad. It's a good, you probably need to do that. It's good. Buying car tires, tires are good. Buying them, you got to buy all four maybe at times. It's expensive, but in the long run, it's good so you're not stranded somewhere. And so on, shoveling snow, chores and on and on. The point is, our definition of good, our definition might just be it tastes good. It feels good to me. It's easy. That, that's, that's what's good to me. That's not a good, to plan on words, a good definition. The question is, what is good according to God? Certainly, we don't, want to call, we don't want to call evil things good. Isaiah 5 warns us, says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Evil is not good. However, even what is intended as evil, what does God do? He intends it for good. A couple snapshots from biblical history I've brought up before, and probably in the next either either further on in chapter eight and further on in Romans, we'll bring up again. but just a couple snapshots from biblical history of things that looked bad but were good. For instance, our two-year uh, Bible reading plan has you today in Genesis. I wrote here 28. I believe it's Genesis uh, 38, the story of Judah and Tamar. Parents, I'm not getting into the story, but Tamar, Judah's daughter in law, bears a son to Judah amidst his own sinfulness. That's the, the, the high view, high, high uh, review of it. And the name of that son, you remember the name of his son? Perez is his name. You can read about it. Genesis, I believe, 38. It's kind of bad. It's a bad situation until you get to Matthew 1 and the genealogies of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, there's even Tamar is mentioned and Judah and Perez. Or later in Genesis, and you're just starting, if you're reading, you're just getting in the story of Joseph. And you're going to read of Joseph thrown down into a well by his brothers, sold off then by his brothers. Joseph gets wrongly accused. He gets put in prison. He gets forgotten about. And who also, in the end, tells this to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It's like Joseph could look at Romans 8.28 and say, I've been there, I testify, amen. God works together all things for good. Or think of the greatest evil ever. What is the greatest evil ever? That is sinful man crucifying Christ on the cross. The crucifixion of Christ, putting the Son of God to death. Here Acts 2 tells us Jesus was, though, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And thus the greatest good and glory came through a cross. In the end, our definition of what is good, it's often... Centered and based upon, I think for for our lives certainly, wrong ideas of what is truly good. Doug Moo writes this. He says, The promise to us is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly pilgrimage and to bring us safely and certainly to the glorious destination of that pilgrimage. We must submit here, to the goodness of God, and that in all things. Whatever God does is good. And therefore, whatever He ordains in my life as a believer is ultimately good for His glory. And then my growth in Him towards my final glorification. And then we proclaim with Paul that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But this phrase, this good, is in fact tied to, directly to, the purposes of God. So God works all things together, for those who love him, works all things together for good, for, the last phrase, for those who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. Those who love God, that's the first phrase, are also those who are called by God, and so I think there's two types of calling to think of. In essence, there's a general call of salvation, really the proclaiming of the gospel to the nations. Tell it to all. Call to you that would be listening here today. Maybe you are fearing God. I don't do I love. Am I am I in Christ? And what about my sin? Maybe the call to you today is. Come to Christ, look to Him, repent of your sin, look to Jesus and be forgiven to Him as your Savior and Lord. But there is also what is called the, the effectual call. Not effect, E, E-F-F-E-C-T-U-A-L, the effectual call. J.I. Packer explains what this effectual call is. Right? It affects something. He says it this way, original Sin renders all human beings naturally dead, parentheses, unresponsive to God. That's sin. That's deadness. Packer goes on. But in effectual calling, God quickens the dead. As the outward call of God to faith in Christ is communicated through the reading, preaching, and explaining of the contents of the Bible, the Holy Spirit enlightens and renews the heart of elect sinners so that they understand the gospel and embrace it as truth from God. And God in Christ becomes to them an object of desire and affection. He goes on to say, being now regenerate and able by the use of their freed will now to choose God by the Spirit and the good, they, they turn away from their former pattern of living to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to start a new life with Him. Our call is from God. 2 Thessalonians 2 puts it this way. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so coming back to verse 28, Doug Moo writes on this connection of those who love God and then those who are called by God, and he says the second description. So there's the first, those who love God. As John Murray said, the subjective attitude, do you love God, a command, love God. He says the second description, those who are called, of those to whom this promise applies, It looks at our relationship to God from its other divine side. So, in essence, beyond our subjective loving of God, there is behind this the God who first loves and calls his people. And I wonder here if there's shadows even of verse 35. We're going to look at much later on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Or verse 37, in all these things, we are the kind of the theme for our study in Romans 8. We are more than conquerors through, not through our love for Him, but through Him who loved us, and so we respond in in love. And to help us then understand God's working all things together for good, we come really to the last part of this phrase here, and that those who are called, and then the phrase is, according to His purpose. According to his purpose. God is purposeful in everything he does. Isaiah 46, God says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Later on he says, I have purposed. I will also do it. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's sovereignty. Whatever God does, what his pleasure, what his purpose, he does. And then God's purposes even reach to his elect. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Here it is. According to the counsel of his will. It's Ephesians 1.11 God's purposes are determined, and they're eternal. The end is known as intimately as the beginning and beyond, infinite. And what God purposes, He will do. And He will do all of His purpose for those who are called of Him, to work all things for good. Paul, though, in verse 28 and then in this further section, he he doesn't leave us wondering... What's the point? What's working all things for good according? What's his purpose all about? I want to just reach forward a bit to verse 29. In verse 30, we'll see the larger purpose. But for now, just look at verse 29 one more time. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. See, it's connected to 28. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. And I love help, helpful words that, that are purposeful. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ultimately, God's work in our life, God's purpose in our life is our being conformed to the image of his son. It's not just salvation is a way to get out of hell. I want to get out of that scary place. That's part of it, but it's really, it's God conforming us to, to help us see who? Jesus and love him and be with God forever. That's our inheritance and so he's orchestrating that for us to be conformed to the image of his Son, to be like Christ. And so as disciples of Christ, we're to follow Christ, to be like him, and so glorify and magnify in our being like him Christ, and not ourselves. And I see this conforming to Christ. I think there's, there's both an aspect of now where God is, if you look back, God is ordaining what comes to pass. He's orchestrating our lives to conform us to Christ. I think that's the good, to sanctify us. And then there's a then, when we shall truly be like him in glory. And maybe it's Philippians 1.6 that would really sum this again, sum this idea up. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like I said, next week we're going to come back to verses 29 and 30, just a little deeper focus on the purposes of God and then even just allows me a, a chance to just what's the language being used? What's Predestinated, what's foreknew, what's glorified, what's justified, all the called again and look at that next week. As we close here, in a minute the worship team is going to come up. We're going to learn a new song together. It's, what air, it's new to us. It's not, I think, the words were written in Seventeen, twenties, somewhere around there the title is whatever my god ordains is right whatever my god whatever he ordains it's right It, it is a sort of you know as we as we dedicated our our kids to the lord to say lord this we're dedicating our lives our our children to you there's this idea of saying lord whatever comes my way whatever Trial or suffering or loss or hardship or conflict or good thing from my perspective. Whatever my God shall ordain, it is right and it is good. And he who loved me while yet a sinner shall work all things together for good. He who has called me according to his purpose, he's going to conform me to be like Christ and so exalt the Son. I want to just encourage you to welcome that conforming of God in your own life, whatever, whatever you would fill in the blank of the all things today, whatever trial or suffering or good thing, whatever it is, wherever you lie in that spectrum or you look back, regret on this or what's going to happen or, or worry, all those sorts of things and entrust them to a God who, whatever He ordains, it is right and it is good. And His love is poured out on His sheep to care for them, and to conform them to Christ. Let's pray. You are so merciful to us, Lord, and so gracious when we run astray a million times from even the clear command of loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your graciousness in Christ, the eternal plan of salvation according to your definite plan foreknown before the creation of the world, for your glory and for our good. And Lord, I pray for those here today where the all things look like all things are bad. It's like a lot of bad things. Lord, help us, help each one of us, me included, Lord. Help us to see our gracious, our Father, working these things to us who are called, working these things for good, to conform us to the image of Christ. May we welcome them. And Lord, by your Spirit, give us the strength grown on our behalf. Thank you for that, Lord. May you give us a hope in what appears to be bad and a hope in your sovereign leading of all things. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.